This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, my cat-loving friends. This is Linda Hall, the co-host of 19 Cats and Counting, and we have Dr. Kelly Cairns, a DVM, with us today. She is Vice President of Medical Excellence and Education for over 400 Thrive Pet Healthcare Family Hospitals. If she has been trusted with 400 hospitals, we know she's good and knows what she's talking about. So we'll be right back after this sponsored ad and we're going to talk to her. Linda, I love my cats, but I am so tired of lugging around those heavy boxes of litter. <sighs> and, and scooping every day, twice oh, a day, on your knees. So what is the answer? Well, I've heard of this new company called Kitty Poo Club. Do you know about them? I have actually heard about them. They send you boxes to your home. So no hauling litter. The litter's in there. The boxes are recyclable. And they say one box should last one cat for an entire month. That's great, but what is the litter like? What if my cats don't like the type they send you? Ah, you can choose your type. We know we've got clients that are diehard clay and clients that are more, you know, working toward environmental friendliness. Of course. They have different kinds you can choose from and even different size boxes. You mean they've got one big enough for my 19-pound cat peanut butter? Peanut butter, yes. They have an <laughs> XL box just for peanut butter. Woohoo! He really needs that. He's got a big batukis. So how no much does this cost? Doubt. You know, if you get on their auto ship program, number one, you don't have to remember to buy anything. No more opening the cabinet and saying, uh-oh, we're out of litter. Oh, I do that but a lot. But they will give you your first shipment at 25% off if you use the code 19CATS. And shipping is free. Oh, I love free shipping. Sign me, me up. Too. Yeah, no kidding. Just go to <laughs> kittypooclub.com. Don't forget the code 19CATS. And get on it. I think this is going to be great. I especially want to sign my elderly parents up. This is going to be awesome for them. I'm heading to that website right now. Thank you. Me too. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. Go to kittypooclub.com and use promo code 19CATS for 25% off your first order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to 19 Cats and Counting. I am your co-host, Linda Hall, here with my Bietha, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. My partner in crime. What do you want? I told you I build a bank of, of compliments for when I want something. There's nothing I want right now. Rita! I don't I have Rita a storage space. You know, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Priorities, priorities. I'm yeah. so excited to I talk to Dr. Kelly. So let's just get right too. to it. Yes. Hello, Dr. Kelly. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I love watching your podcast and I'm just super excited to be a part of it. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I'm glad you've seen some of our podcasts. Yes. And we love our vets. I mean, 
where would we be without our vet? I love my vet, Dr. Glenn. I really do. Yes, Rita has a really good vet. We do love Dr. Glenn. Yes, I even and we can text him anytime. When you get a good partnership with somebody like that, that will listen to you and, and you know, that's worth everything. Especially when you have a tribe, right? Yeah, when you have 12 and 15 cats. Yeah, there's a lot of trust required of <laughs> so before we get into Thrive Healthcare, I wanted to note that I was looking at Dr. Kelly's website and she's running the Chicago Marathon in a tribute to all vet professionals we've lost to suicide. And in special honor of Charlie Alex Ray, what was the last name? What's the last name? Lewis? Lewis. Lewis. I can't read my own handwriting. Who we lost on May 5th, 21. So I think that's very cool. Burnout, compassion, fatigue, and suicide rates are very high in vets, shelter workers. Uh, we lost a famous behaviorist. So it's very cool what you're doing. And if anyone Ooh, wants to chills. donate you, yeah, I know I'm getting kind of misty over here. If anyone wants to donate to the cause, it's at the top of your website, which and is the website Kelly Cairns, C-A-I-R-N-S dot com. I will put so that in now. I'll dry my eyes <laughs> and move forward to Thrive. Tell us about Thrive, what it is. Oh, I, one of my favorite things to talk about. I've been with the Thrive community for over five years now, and it's just awesome. So we are a network of hospitals nationally, over 400 at this point in time. Anything that you would need, whether it's general practice wellness, whether it's urgent care, 24-7 uh, emergency, critical care, or any type of specialty medicine with specialists, we've got folks in our community. And what's really cool is how we have a national network of communities. So we not only support our hospitals in terms of what they would need operationally, but we support them with mentorship, with professional growth and development, and with other resources. So we really are trying to evolutionize the industry by taking care of the people in the profession who are the superheroes, taking care of the pet parents and the pets. Oh, that's so important, especially after the pandemic, when people weren't taking their cats and dogs to the vet because they couldn't really. And now all of my vet's office, they're always busy, busy, busy. Everyone's they don't even have so time behind. to think. Yeah. The whole profession is busy, which I think is great because it means people are seeking care for their pets. And a lot of right. people have pets. We, yeah, we're busy. We're busy <laughs> for that when you take your animal to the vet. Yes. Be kind. They're doing yes. the best they can. Yeah. Meanwhile, getting scratched and bit and having no sweat. So, right. so do these Thrive hospitals communicate with each other? For example, if I belong to a Thrive in my local area and I'm in another state and where there is one of your clinics, do they have Mike Pets records? Yes. 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 Love and so, you. Yeah. Yeah, and we're working to build on that. We have our hospitals organized in what we call ecosystems. So geographic areas where if you are seeing your primary Thrive veterinarian for wellness care and now your pet needs to be referred for something special or has an issue where it needs to go to urgent care, then we collaborate and communicate with those in our network so that you can get to that other Thrive hospital for care and have that continuity with the providers talking to each other. The closest metropolitan area to me is Charlotte, and I'm sure you've got partners in the Charlotte area. I know you don't where I live because I'm in a little town. Yes, right. <laughs> but they're growing, growing, growing. Yeah. We don't know. But yeah, I 
I belong to a, you know, a medical system, hospital system that is similar. And so, yeah, when, you know, you get sick and it's too much for my little town to handle, they move us to the one in Toledo, but it's the same system. So I trust that the level of care is going to be similar. I trust that they have all of his records, access to his records, moving records between systems is a nightmare, which is why that was my first thought with you, Uh, you know, being able to have that freedom. Well, especially if you travel with your dog, not so many people travel with their cats. But, you know, they take their dogs on vacation. The dog gets sick. What do you do? Right. You go to a network that's under Thrive so that 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 can have the records. That's awesome. Yes. My parents wintered in Florida every summer with their or every winter with their cat. And yeah, they had to, you know, try to transmit and fax if they had a problem and get the things sent and shared. And Speaking of cats, is your cat still on your lap? He has moved on, sadly, but I'm hoping he'll pop back up. Well, yes, he's <laughs> hiding under a chair right now. Oshi Timmy Karen's uh, is uh, you were, you were telling us about you were telling us about your cat. And a lot of people ask us this. Do cats grieve when they lose their other half, their bonded pair? And they do. Yeah, they do. I don't know how they couldn't in terms of the fact that we know animals, there's plenty of evidence-based data across all species to know that animals do have connections with other animals. And I know I experienced that with Oshi when his pair-bonded littermate, Ashi, passed away a year ago. I mean, these cats were together from the day they were born. I adopted them when they were about six weeks old, and they were never without each other. They slept spooning, they really were pair bonded. And so I definitely saw his behavior change and his needs change when Ashy passed away. He probably needed more attention, a little more reassurance that nothing else is going to change. Yeah. I, I said so that. If, any, if there was any silver lining to that horrible passing of Ashy, it has allowed Oshi and I to develop a stronger bond because now I'm his Ashy. That's he's right. pair bonded to me. Yes. He's we turned have all it these to rituals you. every yes. day. Yeah. Yes. We lost as many, I've said before, I've lost my son-in-law in in, uh, 2020 to COVID and my daughter came back home with their four cats when we had to integrate my seven with their four. That's a whole podcast in itself. That's a whole thing. But it worked so well. Now they have number 12. So come on, it worked. It worked. You're able to solve it. The the (laughs) sweet little black girl sleeping in the bed behind me was hanging out my backyard. You had a lot of grief. So I finally brought her in. But the reason I said that is because Inky, who was this barn cat that they took in when he was just, I mean, tiny, tiny, tiny. He was very much bonded to Sebastian and he would roam my halls at night crying this guttural moan that ripped my heart out of my body looking for his daddy, his human daddy. It was awful. So no one dare ever tell me cats don't grieve because that was bad. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So your specialty is as an internist. What is an internist? Internist is a board certified internal medicine specialist. So what this means is that after veterinary school, the four years of veterinary school, I did a one-year rotating internship whilst I was a veterinarian with a license to practice. And I 
learned more working under other specialists in all the different facets of veterinary medicine. And then after that, I did a three-year additional training just in internal medicine and did that at the Ohio State University. So working under board certified internists. And then after that, there's a variety of tests and some other requirements, including a research publication in order to become a diplomat or board certified internal medicine specialist. So that's the training. And then people often ask, well, what does an internist do? And I always say to folks, you know, there's way more similarities than differences when it comes to human physicians and what they do and what veterinarians do. There's obviously differences, but I always explain using human medicine as an analogy. So when you go, when your primary doctor sends you to an internist, there's a general internist that handle most conditions of internal body systems. Then there's certain things that might be more subspecialized. For example, oncology or cancer, cardiology or heart disease, neurology or nervous system problems. That's a different type of veterinary specialist. But everything else inside the body, meaning kidney, lower urinary tract, lungs, the gastrointestinal tract, the pancreas, the endocrine system, those are all examples of things that are part of being an internist. That's a lot. That's a lot. By the way, here's Bella. Yes, Bella had to make her appearance. (laughs) Great. I always say internal medicine is probably one of the more, it is the more general sported specialty that you can do. And so one of the things I love about it is that it's very, uh, there's a lot of different things that I treat. It's not the same thing every day. So there's a variety, which is stimulating. And also though, it's, I partner with primary care veterinarians or your regular veterinarian for wellness when it when there's a, one of their patients that maybe has something going on that needs a consult with someone for a deeper dive. And then I continue to partner with that general practitioner to just dive a little deeper in what's needed with those internal body systems. What That's kind of uh, problems do the general practitioner veterinarians tend to refer to you? Here's kind of the short list. There's a lot of things. Uh, So any sort of chronic kidney disease that dogs and cats, but especially cats will get with aging, complicated urinary tract infections, chronic vomiting and or chronic diarrhea, weight loss that's unexplained, chronic coughing, chronic sneezing or nasal discharge. We also handle like we are the EENT of the veterinary space. Oh, that's Um, nice to know. I I have a cat that's always nasal. Schnorky, we call those the schnorkers. So endocrine diseases, hypo, hyperthyroidism, diabetes, Cushing's, which is a disease of the adrenal glands, a liver disease, liver, uh, any kind of elevated liver values that would come to me as well. Okay. That's right. Nice. So are you in there doing surgeries too? So Internists don't do what you would think of as traditional surgeries. However, there are procedures that we call non-invasive interventional that are part and parcel of what we do. So most folks know the phrase scoping. And I always use the example, has anybody ever had a colonoscopy? Because when you get to a certain age, you do. I always joke that an internist will, if there's a hole, we put a camera in it. And that is called the endoscope. We also do ultrasounds as well, but scoping is part and parcel of being an internist. And so I will do colonoscopy or an upper GI scope to get biopsies for chronic vomiting or diarrhea. I'll put a camera up the urethra to look around into the urinary bladder, cameras into the nose, cameras down into the lower airways. And what's kind of 
fun because I will admit being an internist, you need to love how to improve quality and quantity of life through minimizing symptoms of chronic illnesses that we can't cure. And that is just part of wellness and helping families and pets. But also sometimes we do get to fix things. So if your pet has eaten a foreign body, something is stuck in the stomach and it is safe to pull it out, it's not going to cause more damage. I'm the one that goes in and pulls it out. I want to do Lucky that. Lucky you. you. What if you satisfying that would be? That'd be better than pimple popping, right? It's so satisfying to be able to do it. And they can many, in many cases, go home the same day. It's way less invasive. It's obviously still general anesthesia. The patient has to be asleep. I have pulled out feet and feet of the old fashioned rotary, rotary phone cord. Uh-huh. Yeah. I pulled out balls of all types. I've pulled out. This is mostly dogs, right? Dogs, yes, pantyhose, but and, and obviously dogs are more prone to dietary indiscretion yes, than yes, cats. Yes. Cats are a little more discriminating. But in cats, I have actually removed many needles that they yeah, have. People eaten. aren't careful with those. We found during cat, I used to own a cat sitting business. We'd go into, into a house and first thing we'd be doing is picking things up off the rug. Yes, yes. Very important, as you guys know better than anybody, to houseproof things to make it safe for your cat. And so sometimes a needle will actually make it into the stomach and then it hasn't gone into the intestines yet. And there are a variety of graspers and covered instruments that you can use to pull it straight back up to minimize damage. I've even had a few where the needle was poking through the stomach wall. So starting to go into the abdominal cavity. But if you pull it out gently, that hole is so small, the body heals over like you don't need to. Like a cat bite. Yes. We tell people all the time about cat bites and their teeth being needle like and how it heals over quickly. Traps the bacteria take that stuff seriously. But I remember the pet sick client we had whose cat ate the toy. We had a client, uh, Rita owned a pet, cat's only pet sitting company for over 17 17 years. years. And I was fortunate enough to work with her as her executive director. So we've got a pet sit client who has booked a fabulous trip to Bermuda, Bahama. I don't know, somewhere fabulous. And her cat had this favorite toy for years, which should click anyone off. Any toys you've had for years should be checked. Cat finally got it open, ate the squeaker. Rather than going on their lovely vacation, they spent their vacation at the vet hospital getting thousands of dollars in surgery to remove it. That must have been a dog toy, too, because cat toys don't have squeakers. Yes. So, you know, what kind of problems can that cause? I don't think people understand. They, oh, they'll poop it out. What if they don't? Yeah. So... I mean, it can be fatal. It really can. So a pet can get a life-threatening intestinal blockage. And in a worst case scenario, that can actually cause the intestines to necrose or die and can cause the intestines also to perforate. So now you have what's called a septic abdomen. You basically have abdominal or intestinal contents, which are not sterile. There's bacteria in the intestines. And now that is in the entire abdominal cavity. And that that's an emergency situation. It requires sure. surgery. Sometimes sections of the intestine will have to be removed if they've died, and then you have to sew the healthy intestines back together. So it's super important to always call your veterinarian if you think that there could have been something ingested. They can do imaging, whether it's x-rays or ultrasound, and then give you the best recommendation about 
whether or not surgery should be done immediately or whether it's reasonable to do a watch and wait based upon what's going on. Yeah, wow. to see if it will pass. Yeah. We have to take a short break, but after this word from our fabulous sponsor, we'll be right back with more great information from Dr. Kelly Karens. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet And we're back with 19 cats and counting. That name is still a misnomer now because we're way past the 19 cat mark. We're at the counting. <laughs> we're counting. 27 cats and... Oh, yeah, we're the uncounting. Anyway, we are talking with the fabulous Dr. Kelly Carnes. And I know you treat both dogs and cats and other animals. But do you have a soft spot for one species over another? Or is that not <laughs> a, a fair question? question. So <laughs> tattle. I love all species. I do. I, I love all species. I was born with a innate passion for the cat. <laughs> and that is actually what led me to want to be a veterinarian. So I can remember being eight years old and we lived down the street in a rural area in New Jersey where there was a humane society down the street. And I would bike down there and just stand there. And I was too young for them to let me volunteer, but I didn't care. We had nine cats at the time and every stray that would come by, we would take in. So I actually, as an adult, have had many, 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 many cats. I'll tell you a fun little story. As an undergraduate, I can say this now, I don't go to school there anymore. I adopted a cat after my freshman year as an undergraduate in the summer. And that cat lived with me an entire year in the dorm sophomore year. Now you might be asking, did they allow animals in the dorms? And the answer would be no. No. You aren't the first (laughs) one to sneak a cat in the dorms, honey. And she would go to (sighs) lectures with me. It was my first hurt cat, Chloe Karens. And she would sit perched here. Now, this was a very long time ago. I'm not so sure I can get away with this anymore. But she would walk (laughs) all through campus with me. And the professors Um, didn't say anything about the cat on your shoulder? It was a really long time ago. I sat in the back row. True story. (laughs) Which school was this? You to tattle? I did my undergraduate at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, I'm so sorry, Johns Hopkins. I'm so sorry. As my human (laughs) children tell me, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. So, well, I did notice some campuses that allow that now, but not. Yes, which would be nice. I I don't know if they had an official policy. I get. Yeah. Well, I did notice in 2008, you were at OSU. So I Uh really did feel the need to say, oh, H. A-O. I-O. I-O, honey, not I-O. A-O. Sorry. Ohio. I'm, I'm from Buffalo. Oh, I don't know the Ohio. Thank thing. you. 
Go Buckeyes. Linda's from Michigan originally. She lives in Ohio now. Yes. The funny thing is I claim my Michigan heritage until I'm talking to somebody in need to claim the Ohio. And I've been in Ohio more years than Michigan, but I'm still a Michigan girl at heart. And still root for Michigan in the great great rivalry of Michigan (laughs) and Ohio State. You need to be careful with that situation sometimes. Uh (laughs) Oh, it's ugly, especially around around living in Ohio, walking around in the maize and blue. It's a dangerous Don't do that. Your target. Don't do that. (laughs) So Dr. Karens, I need to ask you a question. A long time ago, I had a veterinarian tell me that, you know, when you go to vet school and you learn things about animals, a lot of time it says something is the same for all animals except cats. Is that really true? It is true. Cats are not (laughs) small dogs. And every veterinarian that I've worked with, every student that I've mentored has heard me say that. I joke I'm going to get a tattoo that says cats are not small dogs. So yes, there are similarities across species. And also there are many things where it's very different for the cat than it is for the dog. Yeah. And that makes sense. We find people in the behavior world that have lived with dogs and they're like, and some of their punishments they shouldn't even do to the dogs, but they're like, so I can't rub the cat's nose in it. No, no, you cannot rub the cat's nose. So in I can it. Like, never abort. hit the cat ever. No, you cannot. Yes. Hit your cat. I, so I can't hit the cat ever. Hit we shouldn't be hitting either. anybody, but you're not going to achieve your goals. Let's just, let's just go there. So yeah, their organs, everything there's, I cringe every time I see a shampoo or something that's labeled for cats and dogs. I want something that's for cats specifically because they're so different, right? Yeah. And you know, they have, um, they have different enzymes in their body that lead to compared to dogs that lead to very different ability to metabolize drugs and to protect them against any sort of oxidative stress or damage. Their liver actually has different enzymes and it lacks certain things that maybe, you know, that the dogs have. And that's where clinically we'll see a difference in susceptibility to toxicity to certain medications. We also know that cats are more predisposed to oxidative stress to their cells and their tissues related to how their liver functions. That doesn't mean a cat liver functions more poorly than a dog. It just means that they, when we, you know, everybody knows antioxidants are good and oxidative stress is bad. And in the body, the cat doesn't really help itself with antioxidation the way the dog does. Cats also have different enzymes when it comes to how they process nutrients in food. And so, you know, the cat came from Egypt. The cat is a desert species. And we see that evolutionarily when it comes to even diet requirements for cats, where cats actually, as as you guys know, are obligate carnivores. There are certain key amino acids that they cannot make within their body that they must get from their diet, specifically animal protein sources. You know, taurine is a big one. And we see that cats also will, their insulin in their body that responds to when you eat is triggered differently in humans or dogs. It is carbohydrate or sugars that triggers insulin release. But cats have a whole different situation going on where protein consumption also plays a role in that. And so a lot of folks that have cats know that there's different diets for cats with diabetes than dogs. And people talk about a higher protein diet and low carb, carbs, not good for a cat with diabetes. And that's where that's coming from. They literally have different enzymes. I had a friend that used to feed his cat only canned tuna, not even cat tuna. And, And that's not good. Yeah. 
you had me at can tuna makes me a little nervous, but there's a lot of veterinary nutritionists and internists that believe that canned diet, maybe even canned kitten diet, as long as your cat doesn't have kidney disease, because that's too much protein in that scenario, but may actually be a good diet for a cat, as long as you're feeding set amount of calories, right? We don't want overgrossriosis where they, they get overweight, but wet water canned protein can be really good for cats. Now, when, when cats have the liver issues, I know that, or is it the liver or the kidney? They need to have a low protein diet. How do you feed a cat a low protein diet? Yeah. So, and cats that do have kidney disease, especially when it is more advanced, where they are stage two, three, or four, and they've got a buildup of these compounds called BUN and creatinine in the bloodstream. Basically, they're in chronic kidney failure. Those cats do need a restricted amount of protein, but it's not overtly so low that their body can't function. The key is a moderately reduced amount of a high quality, highly digestible protein. And what would that be for a cat? So how we accomplish that is with a variety, most typically of kidney diets that different companies will make that have the a reduced amount. And there's calculations that you can find if you want to make a home cooked diet that will tell you like how many grams of protein, but it is absolutely possible to feed a cat a lower protein diet than you typically see in what we call maintenance foods if that makes sense, or kitten foods are going to have high protein related to where they're at metabolically and kidney diets for cats with kidney disease or kidney failure will have a lower amount than even maintenance diets, but it's high quality protein. Okay. Okay. So lower amounts, but high quality. I just was so thrilled that you said that because I have fought so many people over there, vegan cat. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you do not have a vegan cat. Your cat is not a vegan. It They're just like, but isn't. it's pea it. protein. It's protein. It's not the same. The cats are obligate carnivores. So to long-term to avoid nutritional deficiencies, you know, they really, they really do need some amino acids that we do find in animal sources. Well, am I correct? And cause I did a lot of research on this, but then, you know, you read conflicting things that even if you fed all like vegetable proteins, like tofu, they simply cannot extract enough of the protein out of those sources to meet their needs. Correct. In, in addition, it's not just extracting the protein out. It's the specific, there's some specific amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein that you're not going to find in those animals or in those uh, non-animal sources of protein. I know we've kind of gotten off on a tangent talking about nutrition, but while we're here, yeah, there's a lot of talk about the raw diet. I don't use it, but I have 15 cats, right? What are the advantages of the protein diet and how do you do it right versus I've seen people just feed their cats raw chicken breast. Yeah. We don't just go to Kroger and pick up a package of hamburger and go, here's the lunch, right? Now, what is that? Yeah. So with raw diets in particular, there's two big concerns um, that I have in particular. One is that it potentially that diet may not be nutritionally complete, which could be independent of it being raw, but just relative to what it is. But the other concern that most veterinary professionals have is that it puts the pet at an increased risk for foodborne infections or parasites, salmonella, clostridium, campylobacter, other parasites, because that food is raw. So my recommendation, 
Right. My recommendation is that if someone is desiring to feed their their cat a raw food diet, that they talk with their veterinarian about why, like what are they trying to accomplish with that and partner with their vet to find a solution that would be safer. I have seen, unfortunately, some animals get very, very sick because of bacterial contamination or other parasites in a raw diet. That's the concern is we don't, we want to first do no harm. Right. I agree. We had a we had a catsup client that was raw and she had the chicken breast like in a baggie and I would have to clip the end and then I would add a bunch of additives to it so that she had they had taurine and whatever. But the cat passed away and then we were blamed for the cat dying because the cat died right after we did cat sitting. But I think it's the I think it was the diet and the salmonella. It was chicken. That's all she fed them. Raw chicken. A, I think what people are missing is like we say about hydration and it's so but cats in nature get everything they need out of the whole creature, right? They get hydration out of it because of fluids they get, you know, there's things they get. And that's why I've always been scared. I mean, I'm sure I'd love to grab a bowl and save money and whip up a raw diet, but how am I going to get enough taurine and enough this and that and the other? I mean, we learned a, a brief overview over the amino acids and things that cats need in their diet and, and our course that we took. And I dance over my head. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a nutritionist. So, you know, it's not something I would want to venture into. No. And given that cats systems are so delicate, why are regular exams important for cats? I know cats historically don't go to the vet as much as dogs, part because it's hard to get them in the carrier. It's a big ordeal to take a cat to the vet. But why is that important? Rita. You've hit on a passion of mine. <laughs> it's one of my like single one of my big missions in life is to educate pet parents so that they can get what we all want, which is more good quality time with those family members. And we do currently have a gap as it relates to cat wellness care compared to dogs. No disrespect to dogs. I adore dogs, but I think cats might be smarter in some ways, right? What do they do when I they're sick? You know, they don't like. It's not like my Labrador who's going to run around and pass out because he didn't feel good, but he didn't know enough to not run around. You know, cats are smart. Cats will get quiet. They will sleep more. They're not going to do things that put them at risk. And so it is really difficult to identify early signs of any sort of problem above and beyond the difficulty we have with dogs because they're not speaking English, right? In most cases. And we have so much data that is looking at how many times doing a wellness physical examination with a good conversation with the veterinarian asking questions of the pet parent, doing a full comprehensive physical and doing routine wellness diagnostic testing. Very simple by getting a blood and a urine sample to look at blood counts, urine health, and organ function. How many times that shows us a problem that was what we call clinically silent, meaning that pet parent, no matter how well they know their pet and how bonded and in tune they are with their pet, would have no way to know that anything is off. And for me as an internist, I see and have seen so many pets where our ability to impact quality and quality of life is really limited by the fact that none of us knew what was going on until much later in the game than would have been optimal. So in specific with cats, as they get older, they will develop 
decreased kidney function related to aging. For whatever reason, we're not really sure why. There's a lot of studies happening right now in the veterinary space to try to figure it out, but cats seem to get age-related chronic kidney disease that eventually progresses to kidney failure even more than dogs. And by the time you that you're in kidney failure, meaning those blood values are up in your bloodstream, greater than 75% of your kidneys are not working. They're gone. And it's chronic, meaning scar tissue. We can't get them. And there's so many things we can do to improve, to slow progression of that kidney disease by identifying it early. Okay. And I mean, I could go on and on, but kidney disease is one of, one of the big ones. I've lost quite a few cats to that. Yeah. As have I, you know, and the last thing we need is even to have a chronic problem that's stable, but you get a secondary acute kidney infection that tips the cat over the edge. So it is so important to have a, at minimum, annual wellness exam for your cat where you're talking to your vet, you're doing a physical, and you're doing those tests blood and urine testing. And once a cat gets to be seven, the American Association of Feline Practitioners considers that a mature cat, seven to 10. Once you hit 10, AAFP now considers you a senior cat. And there's very specific guidelines that the AAFP I was the president of the AAFP student chapter in vet school, and I have been a card-carrying member of the American Association of Feline Practitioners for many, many decades, and they really have their finger on the pulse. This year, their theme, well, uh, 2022 just finished, was really proactive wellness care, redefining wellness care for cats, and the entire campaign for pet parents and for us as veterinarians has been the level set, is, is recognizing once a year wellness exam and testing until you're seven, and then talk to your vet. Age seven to 10, are you moving to twice a year? But for sure, once you're a senior cat and you're 10, every six months, because that is, as wow. you guys know, that's several years of life. Think about how often you go that's to your doctor, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So even if it's just a pulse check, maybe your cat's doing great. The exam is great. You know, maybe you may not need to do the blood and urine testing. Your vet will tell you what they recommend. But having that touch time is so important because you are not going to be able to know what's happening under the skin. I'm passionate about it. But I love it. I love it. We love it. We have seen having the pet sitting company, the cat sitting company, we have seen one in particular that I'm thinking of, sitter went in the morning, cat's great, everything's normal, la la la, sitter goes back in the evening, can't find the cat, cat's behind the toilet, this close to dead, UTI, saved the cat, but this close. That was me and that was me and Jane. Yeah. Really thought the cat was dead when they saw it because it was, you know, they just, they go off and they hide. And well, the pet parent kept saying, no, we're going to be back tomorrow. I'm like, you don't understand. Jane and I just made the decision. We're taking the cat. We'll pay for it if we have to. But once the vet saw the cat and then he called the pet parents, they were on board with, he would have died. And he said another eight hours, that cat wouldn't have made it. We had a sitter and it was her first time with this cat as a client. And she called me and she said, there's something funny when I touch the cat's butt, but we know there can be some soreness and some cats just don't like the butt touch. So I said, you know, follow your gut. Second visit, she called me and said, my gut says there's something wrong. And I said, call the vet. Turns out the cat had a chronic constipation problem and was so backed up, was near toxicity. 
had she not gone. So, you know, it's these tiny little things, right? People ask us all the time, when do I go to the vet? What do I look for? What is your answer to that? If you're asking the question, then you need to go. If you're asking the question, that means you've noticed some change. You need to go. Yeah. And when in doubt, I always tell people too, is, you know, we want to decrease, you know, it's one of the things that we're working really hard um, to do to support our pet parents and our teams that thrive is how can we decrease the barrier to entry to make it, make you, you know, make it easier for you to get to the vet. And we're working on membership plans that we've rolled out in certain geographic areas for pet parents, where if you're a member, then you are able to go in and get that exam as part of that membership. So how, like, how can we look at decreasing costs? How can we look at making it easier to get in the door? How can we use technology to communicate with you, use apps to even schedule? Because we don't want anyone to feel that there's a barrier to entry to come in. Coming in just allows a forum to talk to your vet, let them lay their hands on and partner with you to decide what needs to happen, right? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Sure. And it's just, and especially to y'all, just while I have this forum with you guys as massive advocates in this space is I really want, you know, cat families to know about the importance of proactive senior and geriatric feline wellness care. And we're really starting to recognize that there's things that we just didn't think cats got, or maybe we underestimated the severity. Arthritis is huge. Cats get arthritis just like people and dogs. And we really have recognized time and time again, that older cat that we think is just quieter because they're older, they were actually in pain. I've got 10 seniors. I've got 10 cats that are 10 and over. So I understand. Yeah. That's where, you know, I think there's a lot we can do now that didn't even exist in the past. And so getting to your vet and just having that conversation, we don't ever want, we meaning vets, I speak for all vets. We don't want any pet parent to ever feel that that is hard to do to go to the vet or that is it's not possible for them to do. We'd rather you come in. We want to have the conversation. We want to lay our hands on your family member and help you. I think for most people, the barrier is getting the cat in the carrier and to the vet, but we can help with that. We have ways to help them with that. And, you know, there's um, a lot of our practices in our Thrive community are um, en route to what we call fear-free practice certification. And, you know, as you guys know, but I'll just share for the listeners here, you know, Fear Free is an actual method of practice that is, it's a company, Fear Free, but it basically involves identifying how to minimize stress for the patient and the family attached to that patient. So we're able to achieve what we all want, which is best medicine for the pet by decreasing stress. And so part of that is that a lot of times there are things that can be done even before you are getting ready to get to the vet to get that cat in the carrier and get it to the clinic in a less stressful Yes. Way. Yes, definitely. We can help with those. Yes. The biggest one we always say is leave your carrier out. I don't know why you think you can pull that thing up from the basement. It's strange. It smells funny. And you're just going to stuff your cat in it. Your cat is going to tell you where to stuff. My cat's playing that one. So that they're not scared of it. It's so easy for me to get my cats into the carrier now. Have a top loader too. Have a top loader. That's a lot easier. Unfortunately, we have to wrap and I hate it because no. we could just go on and on. Dr. Kelly, will you come back and do another show with us soon so we can talk about more things that we want to ask about? Anytime. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Yes, so many things awesome. we could ask you about um, that uh, 
we don't have the answers to because we're not veterinarians. We get asked these questions and we're like, well, we don't know. We can't practice medicine. We can't even give you an, a guess on this. You've got to go to your vet. Maybe one shout out. Please do not on social media go to any animal professional that you trust and say, why is my cat, you know, bleeding? Should I be worried that my cat's crying? Whatever. Just go to the vet. vet. Those make me cringe because I wonder how long ago they posted them. And where is this cat? You know, the cat got hit by a car. What should I do? Or you can go to an urgent care too. So urgent cares have become prevalent in vet med as they have in human medicine. We have a ton of Thrive Urgent Cares. That's designed to bridge the gap. Your primary provider may not be able to get you in that same day, not because they don't care, but because they're literally overbooked. Go to the urgent care because they will see you rapidly and figure out what your pet needs. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And, you know, Before you come to a behaviorist, we keep saying, you know, peeing outside of the box is a behavior issue. It also could be that your cat has a UTI and is blaming the box for the pain. So before coming to us, we always say, when was your last vet? That's our first question. Vet first. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up. But thank you so much, Dr. Kelly Cairns. Am I saying that right, Karens? Thank you, guys. I want to thank you. I'm so grateful for both of you for your expertise and your advocacy and your education in the space. You You guys are really making a difference. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. That means a lot. That's this is what we do. We live to help cats. Uh, We're very wellness focused, and uh, we definitely need more information and advice when we get that sanctuary bill. And I also have to thank Linda for always being my ride or die, my best friend, and Mark Winter our awesome producer who gave us the spot on Pet Life Radio. We always have much gratitude to you. Just remember everyone, every day is Catter Day. We'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.